Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We're doing a belated uh, year 2021 review and uh, what to do show and uh, we were just about to jump into our uh, our asset class return estimates, right? And I should say, I, I forgot. If you have any questions, uh, please don't hesitate to shoot us an email. That the uh, the email is questions at McNamaraonmoney.com. Uh, uh, we are now podcasting, not now podcasting, but we're we're recently um, we're recently up on Spotify for our podcast. So if you want to check us out via podcast when you're on the go, just search McNamara on Money in your favorite. Podcatcher, I think that's the term. Oh, is that what it's called? A podcast podcatcher? I thought it was a podcast app. Oh, (laughs) you're making Uh, me feel old, Justin. Mm-hmm. Remember when? Do you remember when you you sent an email about our podcast and Dad said, "Yeah, is that is that the uh, the articles that I've been writing?" Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I anyway, know. that's okay. We can we forgive him for it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so all right. So when we are, um, well, when we're managing money and when we are doing planning for folks, we do need to make some assumptions on what rates of return are going to be. Right. So I'm going to use. Uh, one of our research partners is called uh, Litman Gregory, and they put out a, uh, you know, they, they update every quarter, they update their projections for various investment rates of return. And they're using those to in order to build their investment portfolios. And the way they do it is they have uh, a base case, right? So they think, you know, here's, here's what we think is going to happen. 
And then they have another, you know, they have a downside and an upside, right? So, hey, if things go worse than if something bad happens, if things end up worse than we thought, uh, we'll have our, you know, our downside number. And then if, you know, if things turn out better than we thought, if, you know, if whatever happens, there's, there's lots more growth and everything is hunky-dory, uh, we'll have an upside number on that. So um, I'm just going to go through some of those. I think they're, they're relatively interesting um, for a couple of, yeah. Uh, for, especially for a couple of the um, the asset classes, so we'll start off with with uh, you know with U.S. large cap again. You know, think of the S and P 500 here, and the base case they're 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 going with a range here. Um, all the other numbers are are a fixed un- number. That's interesting. Number, but this one is, this one is a range. I think it's it's sort of reflective of the fact that prices you know prices are high in in uh, in the U.S. right now, and they you know they may well come back down or they may, or, you know, it's just hard to predict whether or not we're going to have a, you know, a significant bear market here, or if we're just going to kind of muddle along. So again, this is a five-year rate of return estimate. So an annualized return over five years, the base case, 1.6%. It's for, it's for a range. It's pretty specific. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. It's not like 1. two 6. to 6%. It's 1.6%. Point... Point mm. Right. So again, I think they're, you know, they're, they're feeling like you're probably going to get a lower than average return in the U S stock market over the next five or so years. And it's not all that difficult to, to figure out why it's, it's because right now prices are high. And we, we mentioned that prices yeah. here are price are, are higher than most of the rest of the world, if not all of the rest of the world. And so if you're starting from a higher point, it's hard to, it's hard to continue to, um, to perform unless you are, uh, you know, growing substantially. Right. So, so this is, so their five-year outlook is that the U S will do low to mid single digits, positive return, but low to mid single digits on average over five years. Positive return. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Which again, not the end. I mean, if it's, if it's a 1.6%, that's not great. Um, certainly you're, you're looking for, you know, for a lot more out of, uh, out of your U S you know, you're out of your S and P 500 mutual fund. Uh, but it's not negative. It's, it's hard to, you know, you, you don't often see these as negative, right? A five, five years is a long time. Yeah. And you don't, you don't see it. You know, obviously there are, there have been five year periods have been negative five years. Yeah. It's, it's generally, you see them mostly as you at the, at the bottom of a bear market. Yeah. Uh, that's where, where you see most of those, but anyway, so. They, they don't um, really define like, but the, you know, the, the easiest way to think about that is that every year for the next five years, we get a low to mid single digit return, but what they don't really define, and right. we don't know what they're thinking is like, that could be, you know, a 30% downturn this year, followed by four years of recovery from that, right. Where you're averaging right. a, you know, 4% per year return over five years. Like we don't really know. They don't really define, how, of course, they don't know, but you know that you don't right. really know what they're thinking there. But that could that can still be kind of a scary scenario, yeah. right? Because it can be a, a significant bear market and a long recovery from that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and again, yeah. you, you can't you know predicting things year to year is you know we we tell yeah. folks never never to try to do that uh, in a given year. But I mean, you can't predict you know something like you know a war in Ukraine completely unpredictable, something yeah. like COVID unpredictable, right? Those can yeah. both drive markets. And it's not something that you, that would, that would show up in any model. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. they're just saying, Hey, this is where we are now. This is where we think we're likely to be five years from now. Yeah. This is our base case scenario. So again, okay. it's not great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe not the end of the world depends on where in the range we fall. And again, also it's not, um, it's not, it's not gospel either. So just make sure that we're not, you know, don't, don't take this one to the bank. Um, the downside, um, negative five point, I mean, the, the, the downside number is negative 5.2%. So that's an annualized number. So that's a pretty big drop from Mm -hmm. where we are right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the upside number 10.7%. So 
Um, if things go relatively well, their their you know sort of upside best case scenario is a is a ten percent rate of return per year for U.S. stocks from here, which would which would be you know that be, be that great. would be quite a run from you know especially from what we you know measuring back to you know really two thousand and nine you know stocks have been on a relative roll here so yeah cross our fingers that that's where we're on the upside scenario. okay yeah uh, comments on that before I move on to Europe um. No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah. okay. I, I, I guess I was, I would be curious to know, like, if we rewind two or three or four years, what were their, yeah. do you remember you what know, any of their predictions I, were? I do remember. Yeah. I mean, they were, they, they were similar to this, right? So again, yeah. you, you've been right. No, no one, no one gets all this right all the time. And they, right. and, you know, the reason that you use a five-year outlook is because you're, you know, you're not certainly not right year to year, but these have been relatively similar, right? Because because the 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 big picture hasn't changed a whole heck of a lot in the last yeah. two years, right? So, you know, the U.S. If you even if you go back to 2019, right, the U.S. had been on a roll relative yeah. to the rest of the world. Uh, prices here were were still higher relative to the rest of the world, and you know, interest rates when we get down to the bond piece, interest rates were still relatively low. Yeah, uh, and so a lot of these numbers are are sort of very very similar, which is you know, it might be frustrating at time if you, at times if you go through you know two three even four years of, okay, well, we assume, you know, the assumption is that developed international emerging markets is going to do better, right? but Hey, these are, these are just sort of best guesses. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get them all right all the time. So. Yeah. They've sort of um, been optimistic about international investing for the last yeah. few years, several years, but maybe we haven't completed that five-year period of time. Right. Yet, based on what <laughs> I said, right. There's still time for them to be right. Yeah. yeah they're but, still there. So they're, yeah. they're, uh, yeah, technically their, their 2018 uh, projection is, you know, is still in play to, yeah. to finish off. Right. I'm not sure what the 2018 was, but right. Um, anyway, that's why you do, that's why you did the five-year. Right. Uh, okay. So developed international stocks in, you know, Europe, uh, base case, nine and a half percent. And uh, downside also 5.2% and upside 16.3%. And I'll, I'll throw out the emerging markets number while uh, you know, I'm, we'll probably discuss that. Um, emerging markets downside negative 4.8%. Again, the emerging markets is, is um, obviously it's a more volatile asset than, mm-hmm. you know, than, than developed world. In this case, the lower downside, you know, just a factor, you know, a, a product of the fact that you have such low prices uh, that it's hard to, you know, it's, if you're starting at a lower base, it's hard to fall. Um, quite as much so, uh, but again, the base case up over ten percent per year, and the upside eighteen point four percent per year over a five-year period. So, oh, okay. again, this is this is just one. Again, this is just an example projection. It's just one. Uh, it's just one outfit that's making it. But their, you know, their outlook is that you over the next five years you see outperformance uh, overseas. You know, sort of driven by the driven by the lower, um, you know, the lower price that you're paying to get into equities over there. Yeah. Anything on that one? Questions? Um, you know what? I had a we've, I had a comment and then of, I <laughs> I had a comment and then I lost it. We've kind of um, yeah. I mean we've been we've been through that a bunch. Uh, I'll I'll jump down and we can you know kind of figure out um, we can figure out what else we want to say about this. But let me let me do the bond side of it. Um, yeah. The base case for investment grade bonds over the next five years is two percent. This is this one isn't isn't okay. actually that hard. If you if you look at the research, it doesn't always work out, but. Um, the, the best way to predict the future, uh, re, you know, future returns on bonds is just to look at the current interest rate on, on whatever term bond you are. Right. I mean, if you, mm-hmm. if you're looking at, 
you know, you just figure out what the 10 year bond is paying right now. That's usually a pretty good estimate of what bonds will return over the next 10 years, right? Interest rates will be up, interest rates will be down, but, mm. um, so that's, you know, kind of just sort of where you, where you would start with that number. Obviously they're doing a more complex set of calculations, but uh, yeah. it doesn't surprise me to see a 2% base projection, um, at um, when interest rates are well, sort of around 2% right now. Yeah. And like, that's kind of what bonds did. Like if we rewind. So if we go back to what, I guess, 2009, as we started coming out of the great recession for like the yep. 10 years following that, while well, the fed very slowly rose interest rates. Yep. I don't know why I forget what year they started rising, raising interest rates, but bonds did about that for like almost a decade, right? Like very low single digits. Yeah. In the in the last decade. So based so assuming we would have a similar, you know, monetary policy, then it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. Um yeah. And again, and yeah, the ranges are, are are fairly narrow too. You know, they're upside, downside, right? I mean, if you, yeah. if you just jump back to what to the ranges of you know emerging markets, it was an average, you know, base case 10, 10%. Downside about negative five and upside uh, about eighteen. Mm. Um, that's a that's wide a very range. wide range. Yeah. On, the, on the bond side, you know, their investment grade bond, the base is two percent. The downside is is um, two and a quarter percent. So that's the downside of, of, uh, of oh, the that's, economy. Oh, okay. So which would be a better return for bonds? Right. Yeah. So okay. if, you know, again, the, you know, interest rates are falling in a lousy economy, right? Because the Fed is you know doing whatever they can to keep them down that'll bump yeah. returns up on bonds, okay. um, even the upside 1.7%. So that's even less where you have stronger economy, interest rates likely trending higher, which will hurt your bond. Uh, oh, okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. I'll do high yield briefly. Um, three, three and a quarter percent rate of return. Uh, that's on the base. The downside is, is lower uh, because high yield bonds are more, uh, you know, perform a little bit more like equities than uh, than traditional bonds, and then the upside is about four percent. So mm. again, I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. It's just again, it's just it's just a projection from one um, from one outfit out of California here, based on uh, some probably sound research, yeah. though. But yeah, yeah, I, I just don't want to be. I, yeah. I, I know that there's you know there's there, there's a million projections every day, and I I'm, I don't want to I don't want to give folks the the um, you know this isn't necessarily a market call. I'm just trying to. Um, you know, give people an idea kind of of where we sit and, you know, what we, what we think is kind of a sober assessment of what's going to happen going forward, which is, you know, U.S. stocks likely not to do quite as well as they have in, mm. in you know, over the past 10 years or so, which I think is, is you know, a reasonable expectation, uh, probably some outperformance overseas and then relatively lousy returns on bonds. That's sort of what we, um, we've been preaching that for a while now. And I, I don't think it's, it's, yeah. you know, it, unreasonable to assume that's probably likely what's some, something like what's going to happen going forward. You know what I take from this? We don't what? know what's going to happen, right? We don't know if it's going to be best case, worst yeah. case or average case. We don't know what's going to outperform the other, which is why you have a diversified portfolio <laughs> so that whatever yeah. does well, you have some exposure to it and you don't want to have a lot of exposure to whatever has the most downside. If we have the worst yeah. case scenario unfold <laughs> in the next five years, yeah. that's what yeah, I love, I, right? That's what I love about that chart. Like the periodic table of the asset class classes, right? And it's like, yep. you know, it kind of shows like that, that the, these are what we call at, right asset classes, right? Different categories of investments. And yeah, you can see from the numbers you're giving out and I can, I can see them on the piece of paper, but 
the numbers you're, you're giving out are kind of all over the place in terms of, you know, stocks have great upside in good years, but a, a further downside in, in down years, but we don't really know how it's going to unfold, right? And these, the, right. The, how asset classes move, you know, especially relative to each other are, are unpredictable. And right. so that's why it's kind of like, well, we, we don't know what's going to happen. So a portfolio is a compilation of, of a lot of these different things, if not all of these different um, types of investments or what we call asset classes. And so that's why you diversify because right. you, you don't know and you want to be prepared yeah. for whatever unfolds. Yeah. I think, you know, we, you know, obviously we, we do make some value judgments about where to invest uh, and, you know, the, you know, these, projections are kind of examples on what those decisions are, are based on. But, you know, just to be abundantly clear, you know, we don't, and nor do we think anyone should um, take outsized bets on anything that they think is going to happen. Right. Cause you can always mm. be wrong. Right. You know, even if we said in 2019, Hey, we think that the U S is, is probably likely to underperform over the next five years. Uh, that didn't mean we, we sold the S and P 500, right. It's, 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 right. it's trimming, you know, again, around the edges, and, uh, you know, trying to, trying to add value that way, not, you know, not, you know, sort of jumping in and out wildly out of any given thing, because, um, you know, as we've seen, you, uh, you cannot predict that stuff uh, really with any degree of accuracy over a very short-term time period. So. Right. Right. All right. I think we should, oh man, we're getting, we're getting closer. So let's, let's jump into the kind of the, what you should okay. do phase. Right. So mm-hmm. unless you have any other summary comments, you want to jump in, I'll go into Nope. kind of what you, what you should do at the end, you know, this is meant to sort of be a year end show. So um, a couple of uh, things I'm going to, you know, we'll, we'll talk about rebalancing, maybe Tim taking some profits, um, checking on risk tolerance and checking in on your holdings, but I'll, I'll go, okay. uh, I'll jump into rebalancing. I think uh, without, without just to summarize in advance, I think probably what you should do is have a rebalancing program and then what you actually uh, you know, which one it is probably isn't all that important uh, as long as you're doing something right. Okay. Um, you know, all, all of the research on rebalancing that's, that's sort of ever been done says something very similar, right? There, there, you know, there, there are, there are rebalancing programs that are, you know, so you, you know, the, the extremes generally are bad, right. To never, um, never rebalancing your portfolio is probably a bad thing, right? I mean, if you take a look at a rebalanced portfolio, um, you know, you, you tend to get, um, you know, a, a sort of a tighter distribution of returns, right? As long, you know, if, if you're, if you're putting your, if you're putting your mat, your, your model back together on some schedule, then you're not going to see extreme levels of return, right? You're not going to, you're not going to have a, you know, you're not going to buy a, a balanced portfolio in 1980. And then, you know, come, uh, the year 2020, you have all of your money in stocks, right? Because stocks right. are years right. and you effectively have no bonds in your portfolio, which is, which is eventually what happens, right. whatever the winning, you know, whatever the winning investment is starts to really dominate it. And so what you get is rebalancing your portfolio keeps your risk level down, right? Cause you, you know, you have that model for a reason, right. And so you want to put it back together every so often. Um, it, it, it kind of removes the emotion from, from any, you know, from, from any type of tactical change, right. You know, you know, if you, if you sit down, uh, and you and you set up a, an, a rebalancing program that says I'm going to rebalance every quarter or every year. I'm going to rebalance every time you know this fund gets this far away from its target percentage. That that relieves you from sitting down every year and saying, okay, hey, what should I do this year about my portfolio? Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Don't you, uh, don't you wish, don't you wish individual stock investors had some sort of a rebalance uh, yeah. because it, because, like, it, w- yeah, what you're saying is you're, you, you're never going to be able to predict um, if something's doing well, you're never be able to predict how long it will do well. Right. And when it may right. turn. Right. So, so, uh, um, uh, rebalancing uh, either either on a schedule like quarterly or semi-annually or something. It takes that guesswork out of it. It's just going to yep. whatever the portfolio, however it's sitting uh, on its schedule, we're just going to trim what needs to be trimmed and we're going to add you know, extra money to whatever is, um, has a smaller uh, allocation than it should. But like, if you think about people that own individual stocks, right. If they're, you know, just buying them for fun or they inherited stocks from a family member, right. And they're constantly, you know, they're seeing the price change every, you know, every day probably. Right. And, and constantly worried about, is this a good time for me to trim the position? And like, I actually, now that I'm saying that out loud, maybe I should start talking to some of my clients with individual stock positions (laughs) about something like this. Like, let's just put it on some sort of a schedule where we trim off a little bit at a certain point in time because individual stock investors or, you know, somebody, this could, you could say the same thing for somebody invested in like Bitcoin, right? You're just going to want to like on, on some sort of a schedule, do something about it instead of constantly worrying about, is this a good time? Is this a good time? You're never going to, you're never going to you're never going to know. Yeah. I have the same, I have the same conversation and it's not, you're right. It's not, it's, it's, you know, if someone's holding a stock that we're, you know, that we have in a portfolio, it's essentially when you see them and say, Hey, do you want to hold on to the stock? You know, it's, I mean, yeah. it's not like uh there's, there's no kind of preset number of rules. You know, ideally if you're a stock investor, you have something like, you know, a price target where yeah. hey, I think this price is going to go yeah. blah, 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 and then, then you yeah. sell it there. But yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of a different, it's, it's a different strategy generally speaking, but yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, so, I mean, the, yeah. the, the point is that, you know, in, in both cases, allowing anything to, you know, to run and, and go unchecked for long periods of time will, you know, will kind of mess with the risk profile of yeah. your, of your investment. Right. So um, again, and you know, which one, you know, just briefly um, you know, for the average investor, I would say um, probably once a year is, is, is fine. Right. So if you're talking about a do it yourselfer. If you look at the research, you know, if you put your portfolio back together once per year, you're probably okay. And mm. it's, it's a, it's a decent enough strategy, right? The, you know, there, there's no, you know, we, we've, we've, I've looked at all the papers that I can get my hands on. Mm-hmm. There's no winning strategy. Right. Mm. Uh, and because you think about it, you, you would have to, you know, maybe someday over, you know, maybe when we have, uh, you know, 500 years of investment rates of return and, and you know, we can go back and, and we'll know the winner. Days. Very long sample sizes. Yeah, maybe we'll know the winner. But you know, any any given strategy can do better over some you know some period of time, and then another one can do better. But right, you know, the, the long and the short of it is, if you're if you're a do it yourself, or I probably would suggest you do it. You know, so you know once a year. But, you know, whether it's every once or every six months, if you feel more comfortable, even every couple of years, you're probably okay. Um, you know, if you, you know, we obviously use a strategy that's a bit more complex because we, you know, we have a software program in place where we can track all of our positions and we have a target, we have a target and then we can, you know, we, we can check them all and make sure that you know, none of our, none of our positions wanders too far from its, yeah. um, from its target. It's called, you know, threshold based rebalancing. So that's how we do it. But you know, doing it annually is will give you kind of a similar experience to it, and it's not necessarily you know that that ours is you know quote unquote the best. We we think it's the one that's most appropriate because it's always keeping you 
um, you know, within a range of your chosen risk risk profile. Um, yeah, so, you know, it does allow you. Themselves. It does allow you to take it like take advantage of some volatile markets too. Like if we yeah. see really big upswings or really big downswings, it allows you to quickly take advantage of those swings in yep. terms of selling something at a high point or scooping up something at a low point. So I, I do like it in that right. regard, and it's nice to. Um, it's, I guess, during volatile markets when, you know, clients are worried about, you know, a downturn and, you know, it's kind of nice to, um, to, to be active in it, not, not overly active, but to be somewhat active in the portfolio at yeah. these times, is kind of comforting. Um, I was just going to make the point that I think rebalancing is more important, is most important for like moderate risk investors. Because right. if you think about it, like somebody that's very conservative, right. They, because the, the, what you said earlier is really that when you don't rebalance, the risk is that your stock component of your portfolio gets too big over time. And then you become more aggressive than you intended to be over a long period of time. Or I guess it could be yep. a short period of time if stocks were really, really strong. So, but like a very conservative investor doesn't have enough stocks in their portfolio for that to be a huge worry, I don't think, unless it's right. a long period of time. And a very aggressive investor is very aggressive anyway, right? And of course we have different types of stock investments, but it's not that urgent, I think, to rebalance when you're an aggressive investor because you're not really worried worried about um, having too much stock exposure. You have a lot of stock, you have all stock exposure. So it's that moderate risk profile. I think that's like, yeah. that's the most important to kind of stick to that, that modest uh, profile. Yeah. The more different your yeah. investments are, right. That, you know, the more variability they have in their underlying risk and return profiles, the more important it absolutely it is. And, and you know, yeah. you, you can, you can, it's, it's not really a proof, but it's almost a proof of that where, you know, when we have our aggressive portfolio models and I'll, you know, every so often I'll look and say, well, how, when was the last time we rebalanced this portfolio? A lot of times in our, in our all stock models, it's been a while since they were rebalanced, right? Cause right. you know, a lot of times stocks will move together, right? We've talked, we've talked all show about how the U S has done, you know, very well relative to the rest of the world. But, you know, if, if the U.S. is up 20% and the rest of the world is up 10, it doesn't necessarily generate a rebalance in, right. in our specific uh, program. And right. so, yeah, I mean, it's it's very similar on the very conservative end of the spectrum because bonds tend to move in, you know, in, at least in uh, similarly. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know what? We are just about up against it. And that's a pretty okay. good time. I'll finish up. I'll finish up rebalancing after the break. Uh, but all right. Hey, uh, this is uh, McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara. Read uh, questions. Uh, you can shoot us an email. Um, questions at McNamara on Money is uh, the email address. Again, questions at McNamara on Money.com. And uh, check out our podcast. Uh, search McNamara on Money on your favorite pod catcher. And we will be right back. Market turbulence can cause panic. And you might be wondering if your investments are allocated properly. I'm Kirk Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Let me help you understand your investment strategy and ensure that it is suitable for you. Then you can turn off the financial news and move on with your life. And welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara Reed. And we are doing our belated year 2021 review and then what to do show. And we are in, our, in the home stretch here. Uh, and we were just, I, I was just finishing up on rebalancing and I did, I did want to mention, uh, I skipped over it. Um, if you, a, a rebalancing strategy, again, as I mentioned, you, you should rebalance your portfolio. It's important to do so. Um, pick a strategy that works for you and it's probably going to be okay. Right. If you come in and tell me, Hey, I, I rebalance my portfolio once every two years, I cannot 
you know, as a, as an advisor and the guy who handles, you know, most of the money management stuff at McNamara Financial, I won't tell you that that's a lousy idea and, and I can do it better because I don't actually know that. I, I know that mm. a rebalanced portfolio is, uh, is better than a non-rebalanced portfolio, at least from a risk point of view. Um, but I did want to make sure that you do make, sh- you know, ma- make sure that your, whatever your program is, works uh, with a, um, works uh, with whatever type of account you have, right? So in a taxable account, um, more trading equals more taxes. So you probably want to, you know, at least potentially make an adjustment uh, from there. Also, if you're rebalancing on a very regular basis, uh, you 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 may or may not have to worry about cost, right? If you're in a brokerage account where you're paying and you're investing in mutual mm. funds, you know, maybe you're paying whatever it is, 10, 20 bucks a trade. Um, just be careful on that as well, which is why, you know, in, in short, uh, generally, you know, Rebalancing programs that have a lot of trading tend not to do all that well. Uh, you want to sort of, you know, find kind of a a sweet spot in the middle where you're, mm. you know, you're rebalancing on occasion, but not so often that it's going to drag your portfolio from a uh, from a rate of return point of view. Let's be honest here: most listeners aren't going to be rebalancing their portfolio <laughs> themselves. It's either like through an advisor, or yeah. many people's four hundred one k platforms have the ability for them to sign up for automatic yep. rebalancing. I've seen that a lot. Um, okay. So in the settings of like, like if you have a login to your 401k, many of them under, I don't know if it's under options or yeah. um, after you pick your investments, they might ask you if you want to enroll in automatic rebalancing. Um, I generally have my clients say yes. And sometimes- if it's free. If it's, if it's free, free okay, yeah. thank you. If it's free, yep. yeah. I know just for example, I can. I know a lot of 401ks are held at Fidelity, for example. And I know that they have, I've seen um, that they have the ability- um, to auto rebalance. And I think they ask yep. you if you want it to be quarterly, semi-annual, annual. And um, yeah. like like you're saying, it, 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 there's not a lot of research that indicates that one is significantly better than the other. It really would depend on what markets do and what that schedule actually is, right? What what If you do it quarterly, what are markets yeah. doing at, you know, at that time? So, and any one of those generally sufficient um, from our perspective and um, just like you're saying, rebalancing as a practice is generally better than not. Right, right. Not doing so. Yeah. Um, okay, let's jump in. We have a few more that we want to hit here. So I want to make sure we get them all done. Okay. Um, all right. So take profits, my next my next outline, uh, take profits and prepare for income. And this is something you, you, you sort of touched on. You know, rebalancing is is meant to be a you know I I I think of it as a you know it's something that a computer could do right our, mm. at our at our office a computer doesn't do it all it it you know it, it it monitors and then it it puts trades out for review and then we you know obviously we go in and make sure that those trades are appropriate and place them if we if we deem they are but a rebalancing program is 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 um is very programmed um, in this case you know you had mentioned maybe um, kind of a, a more proactive approach to um to to rebalancing which is take profits and, and maybe prepare for income right so and again this is this is during a you know after a, you know in this case 2021 is a it was a good market and you could you know review at the end of the year and say hey it's been a good time here uh what should i do right you could rebalance the portfolio you could sort of go you, know, you could go off schedule and say wow the market is is going crazy i'm going to i'm going to take um, everything that you know, everything that I have over and above my equity targets, and I'm going to sell back to my equity target. Mm. You know, put the rest of the money in bonds because I think you know, I think we're you know, this 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 party is going to come to an end at some point. Um, that's that's certainly something that you can do. Uh, I I would I would obviously 
I would do that even more so in for folks who are kind of pre-retirees, maybe in the march up to um, the, you know, the march up to taking income from their portfolio. And this is a discussion that we've had with our with our clients who are in that scenario a bunch over the past few years, right? Because the markets have continued to kind of, I, w- I would say, surprise us to the upside, right? I know yeah. we, we haven't been pessimistic thinking the market was going to fall, but I think we've been surprised at the uh, at the heights the market yeah has reached. And so, you know, mm. for folks who are kind of who are worried about that and or are, are just you know getting into that zone where hey maybe they might be taking money out in the next mm. uh, you know year or two or three. It might be a good time to to grab some profits and you know set that aside, right, and and fill up your bucket, right. After periods of time of overperformance, you mean not maybe oh, not necessarily yeah. right now when the show is airing because we're doing a little. <laughs> right, right, we're, yeah. we're already doing it after the market has started to correct a little bit. <laughs> yes. But had we done this show on twelve twenty five or something right before we started to see a downturn, yeah. But but that brings up a really good point about like you know um, I, I'm always. Um, you know, having the discussion with my clients that sometimes like human nature gets in the way of being a good investor, right? And yeah, what your yeah. gut tells you is often the wrong thing. But like, you know, on December 25th of 2021, for example, like right before this little down, this what so so far is a relatively small downturn started. Um, we've had three of the strongest years the S&P has like ever had, right? I I, I don't have any all the history at, at my fingertips, but we know that we've yeah. had really, really sure. good few years in the markets, right? And and yeah. that's, you know, we know that that's a good opportunity to trim profits and, um, you know, sell high, but nobody wants to do that when, yeah. when nobody yeah. wants to get more conservative when things are rocking and rolling and have been for a while. Um, it's hard to do that, right? You're, you're, your, um, I don't know, optimism or, or yeah. some people would call it greed or, or um, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get in the way and we'll kind of say, Hey, now let's keep rolling with this. It's, you know, it's doing well, but, but now, right. Hindsight's 2020. And uh, again, so far this downturn is relatively small, but um, yeah. it, it, that would have been a great time to, to, um, to take some profits, but um, yeah, your, your, your gut reaction is often the wrong one in the world of investing. Right. And now that we've right. started this downturn right now, people are, now people are going to want to, you know, get, get more conservative and trim things, but is this the right time to do it? And sometimes the answer is no, yeah. um, depend, yeah, I mean, you know, it depends on the situation, but. I mean, I think we, you know, we do yeah. this with, with our clients to, you know, to a degree, we, I, I would say we automate our process and then we, and, and, uh, or at least we automate the review process and then we're constantly revisiting it at times when, um, when you know, kind of outlier moments, right? So you know, we're you know, we're constantly making sure that folks have cash, right? If you're if you're retired and we're you know, you're relying on McNamara Financial Services to send you, uh, you know, the the check from your account uh, in order to live your life, you know, we have an income plan set up for you know for most of those clients, and we are regularly reviewing where the market is relative to. Um, you know what the what the market performance has been, and generally speaking, if it's been adequate to good, we're mm. refilling those buckets and making sure that we you know and making sure that that cash is always in a good place and, and keeps coming. And then when the market dips, we then sort of step in and say, okay, well, hey, it's it's you know the market is down, whatever the number is, five percent, ten percent, fifteen percent, and we then take a review and say, all right, well, you know maybe now is not the time to continue to refill that you know that those income plans. Yeah. And maybe we should sort of hold off on that because we, you know, we're trying to avoid selling low. So, you know, we do it, obviously it's, you know, our, our process is likely more complex than the average investor is going to do it on their own, but 
you can follow the same process to where, hey, the market's been great. Hey, I'm living off this money now. Yeah. So I should probably sell some more now. And you know, the higher the market goes, maybe the more, you know, the more you trim and you just, you know, kind of set that aside and increase your comfort level for the next year. Because again, this is again, we're not making market calls specifically, but um, there will be a time when the market drops. That's you know, that that we do know. Yeah. Uh all right. Anything else on that? No. Good buckets. We we do buckets a lot. I think we can probably skip ahead. Okay. Um all right. I would say, you know, at the beginning of the new year, probably also a fairly good time to double check your risk tolerance. Mm. Um, you know, we we obviously had COVID and I don't have the co I can actually probably even while we're while we're working here, I can probably try to work, pull up the COVID numbers of of what various portfolios did. But oh. um uh, I do have, you know, the 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 most major recent bear market. And I think the worst one, I actually don't know if 2000 or 2007 was technically worse. It probably would depend on what, you know, which asset class you were measuring. But, you know, what I do have, and, and when we're doing this with our clients, we do regularly pull up kind of the worst case scenario. It's kind of a, it's, it's sort of yeah. something that, you know, you, you want to have that conversation with, you know, before you invest someone's money and, you know, whatever your, whatever your portfolio is, you probably want to say, all right, well, Hey, this is, this is sort of what our expectations are. And this is not not as bad as it can get, but you have the discussion. You know, this is this is what's happened in this portfolio in the past. It may or may not be that bad again in the future, but you probably want to be prepared for something like this, right? So, you know, j- just to just to use the numbers, which I didn't even have to change from our last outline because we haven't had a substantial bear market, right? We just have mm. some kind of generic investment portfolios logged into our software, all right? Uh, in 2000, between 2007, 2009, the great recession, um, an equity portfolio in this case lost about 53%, right? So the U S market was down about 50. And then if you had some money overseas, Mm. uh, in emerging markets, you, you did a bit worse than that. And maybe, I think maybe small caps did a little bit worse as well. Mm. Um, equity tilted, right? So in, in our case, that's a 75% stock, 25% bond, uh, model, uh, that lost 40% and change, so just over 40%. And a balanced portfolio. Again, this is a really bad return for a balanced portfolio. It's, it was down 30, 30, almost 33. 33%. Yeah. And then a conservative, I'm sorry, balanced, I, I should have I should have mentioned 60% in the stock market, 40% in the bond market, and then mm. conservative balanced uh, down just under 23%. Per, that was 07 uh, to March of 09. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. I was going to pull the, I was going to pull the, um, February to March of 2020 numbers. Was it like mid-February to early March? Is that what that? February that sounds about right. February yeah. 15th to March 4th or something. Like that was really short, right? It was just a few weeks of a really steep. Was that right? February 4th to March. You're, you're, you're better than I am if you can remember that number. I just was programmed in my head for like a solid 12 <laughs> months. But now it's hard to remember the exact dates. Um, I can look it up as well here. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can... Anyway, so you know yeah. the 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 point is is that you know every year it goes by is you know for most people is is another year closer to when they're going to need their you know to when they're going to need their money right so you know most of us aren't investing for uh, you know for our kids um, but um, you know if if you're lucky enough to be doing that that's fantastic but for the you know for for the vast majority of us as retirement approaches we 
you know, we, we start to feel differently about our money and mm. the volatility embedded in it, right? Again, not everybody, this is not a blanket statement. We certainly have discussions with clients and I'm sure, you know, I, I do, and I'm sure you have as well, where people's risk tolerance doesn't seem to change, even though they're, you know, they're, they're 10 years away from retirement, they're five, they're, they're two, they're one, and they still want to be on the aggressive side. And we, you know, have to maybe, maybe talk them down a bit, but most of us do feel differently about the risk tolerance embedded in, in a portfolio as you get closer and you just want to make sure that you're still comfortable with it. Right. I mean, ideally, ideally it's, you know, it's a better time after a, you know, after a good year and after a good market to get more conservative, right. Cause you'd like to, you'd like to ride the market up and if it's going to fall, then you would want to have less money in the in stocks uh, on uh, as it goes down. Um, but it's, I think it's a good time to you know take stock of everything and make sure that you're still okay with the, you know, the, the potential level of volatility in your portfolio. You good with that? I'm good with that. I I also think that risk tolerance changes with markets. We yep. sort of touched on this earlier, like when markets do well for a period of time, people have a higher tolerance for risk. They're just more comfortable with markets when they've sort of proven themselves in recent yeah. past. And um, like in 2009, nobody had a high risk tolerance, right? Even even young, <laughs> even even 20-somethings yeah. had a low risk tolerance back then and their 401ks were super conservative, Right. Remember doing all that. Remember doing all that reading about the millennials and their, um, yeah. and and yeah, how strange, conservative right? their four hundred one ks were, like you know, in twenty ten or something like that, because it's coming out of the Great Recession. Um, are you screen sharing? Oh, okay. So right. yeah. So I I think it's uh, appropriate to revisit risk tolerance uh, every few years, even if you're not necessarily getting this is like really close to retirement, but just as markets change in. Uh, people's comfort level with investing changes. And I yeah. guess uh, maybe we could also toss in there the political environment, right? Uh, <laughs> a lot of people had a low tolerance for risk under our prior administration yeah, uh, because of the expected volatility, uh, volatile personality, maybe yeah. leading to volatile markets. Um, and let's not, yeah, let's not leave out. I mean, I, I've, I, I know I've heard Right. So I, we, we know we spent four years hearing generally from one side of the aisle about, uh, you know, about the, you know, inherent volatility and, you know, oh, hey, you know, this, this crazy guy is going to, is going to ruin the markets. And now, you know, I, I, I hear the same thing from the other side right now. So it's not, I mean, it's, it's very much a, yeah. um, you, I think everyone needs to understand for themselves that it's a, you know, it, it is, as you say, it's a moving target. And everyone should, you know, try to, try to understand themselves well enough to say, oh, all right, hey, well, am I, am I feeling this way? Because maybe um you know is it is it it's obviously emotional and the question is 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 it the kind of thing that I want to act on right and right. so I regularly say you know I, I have to I point out that you know I hear it I hear it from one side or the other it doesn't matter what year it is I'm you know you, you generally will always have somebody concerned about what's happening and how you know how the president is going to you know either you know, the market's either going to be great because of this president or it's or it's probably going to be lousy and there's there's not a well listen. I'm sure there's a lot of in between as well, but I just don't hear it all that often. You know, yeah. no one comes in and says, "Hey, I don't really care what 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 which president <laughs> is this." <laughs> right, that's um, true. We uh, you you did bring it up. I do I do have the numbers. So the the COVID downsides again. This is just oh, yeah. the individual. Uh, you know, I might actually be able to pull up portfolio. I I, I can't. I actually that. think it was February. Wait, I was just looking. Google knows a lot, so yeah. <laughs> Google was telling me it was about February twentieth. 
to April 7th. For some reason, I was thinking it was March 7th. So something in that range. I wanted, I, I was re- remembering that it was like five weeks. Okay. Five or six weeks of, of a downturn, but I couldn't remember the exact dates. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. You know, just to, just to elaborate on while you're looking at that, just to elaborate on why it's so important to revisit risk tolerances and and it's, it's important to revisit risk tolerance in strong markets Yeah. because um, it's because you want to make sure as an investor, you want to make sure that you're in a portfolio that doesn't fluctuate down so much in a bad market that it's going to cause you panic and and cause you to want to make a mistake with your money, like sell and go to cash, right? Like you should be in something that if it fluctuates down a significant amount, 40 or 50%, then you're in a position in your life with this particular chunk of money that, that you, that, you know, maybe you're not happy about it, but you're not totally in a panic about it. Right? right. And if, and, and you want to know kind of what's the worst case in good times, you want to know, okay, well, we're in good times now, but in bad times, I need to be in something that's not going to cause me stress and panic. And some people get like, you know, uh, stress can cause physical ailments. Like, you know, some people get so panicked that it affects their ability to sleep and things like that, which is really awful. So you need to make sure you're not in something that's going to perform in such a way that's going to cause you physical, right? Uh, um, right. Physical side effects, but also cause you to want to make a move that will negatively impact your rate of return for a very long period of time, right? right. And, the, and the moves to cash and down markets, that's the stuff that you want to avoid. Those are the moves yeah. you want to avoid as an investor. And that level of stress, I think, you know, can, can you know, as you age and as you get closer to retirement, that, you know, those, I think those stress levels only go up, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's you know, there's certainly, obviously no one, you know, if you're 35 and your portfolio drops by uh, 35%, it's, it's, you know, for a lot of people, that's very, very difficult. Um, but for that same person, it's probably, you know, twice as difficult for, uh, you know, when at, at 55 or 60, right. um, cause you just sort of start to hear things like, well, I can't lose this money now. I'm so close to retirement, which is, you know, to a degree is it, it's, you know, it, it, it's certainly more true. It's not necessarily that cut and dried, but, um, people do tend to, uh, get more, more emotional with their money as, uh, as, as they get older, but also yeah, the, do- the the dollars are bigger too. Like when you're 30 and you've got yeah. to, you know, 150 grand in your 401k and it goes down 50%, $75,000. But when you're 60 and you've got $2 million in your 401k or your assets and it goes down 50%, that's a lot more money that you're seeing that downward fluctuation that the dollars is not just the percentages, it's the dollars that are larger for most people when you're older, right? Right before retirement, it's the biggest that, that your assets have ever been, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, so, so much, much scarier in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, you know, I, I, I briefly pulled up, you know, the, the COVID drop for the portfolio, our, our aggressive portfolio that we have sort of as an example in, mm. in our software. Uh, I think it was down about about 28, 29%. So in again, five weeks. Was, yeah. yeah, in five weeks. That's well, mm-hmm. that, the speed of the speed of it. It wasn't, you know, in real terms, it wasn't all mm-hmm. that deep of a, of a drop, but mm-hmm. uh, it certainly did happen awfully quickly. But yeah, mm-hmm. so I mean, that's just the kind of thing you need to be prepared for what, whatever um, you need to be prepared for whatever your portfolio might give you, which is why you want to do, you know, you want to review that on a very regular basis. Yeah. Uh, Having said that right. right now, right now where markets are like we're in, I think we're officially in a correction by the t- right when here we are, um, end of February, right? Like we're, I think we're yep. in officially in correction territory and 
unfortunately, when you're in the middle of a downturn, uh, reevaluating your risk and wanting to get more conservative might not be in your best interest. Some, sometimes, you know, it might be. It's, uh, you know, if the market goes down further from here, yeah. you know, maybe some people still want to do that, even if things are at a low point. But unless you're unless your risk tolerance is increasing in a market downturn, not necessarily a great time to make a change. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, and again, you can say, yeah, I have, I have us down what, well, this is just the S and P ETF. So down nine, uh, down nine. And this is year to date change from the high. Yeah. So oh, yeah, okay. we're, we're, we're yeah, very close mm. to correction level, a, mm-hmm. a correction officially mm-hmm. as determined is a 10% drop from, a, mm-hmm. from the high. Uh, to uh, to the current level. Um, okay. Anyway, so uh, yeah, again, you you can you know should you not if you're if you really are feeling like your your risk tolerance is too high now is not maybe not a great time to do it, but mm. you know it's it's maybe better than if the market was down twenty or thirty two. So that's sure. again, that's something that you want to talk with your, mm-hmm. your advisor about or or at least think clearly about because. Um, it would do, kind of depend on the situation, right? Now might not yeah. be a great time for a for a prudent, you know, kind of a one crank drop in risk. But if you've if you've managed to go, you know, if you've if you've been aggressive for your whole life and, and you're retiring in two years and you're still having an all equity portfolio, mm. I might still say, hey, it, it, yeah. it's not a terrible time to drop uh, drop in risk because it certainly can get worse. Mm. Anyway, uh, okay, let me go on. I want to. I think we'll probably leave that one behind unless you have any follow ups on on risk tolerance. We've, I think we've done that pretty well here. Okay. Yeah. What else is on your list? Yeah, I do want to, you know, this is a, I would, I, you know, sort of a, a check-in on your holdings. I think at least once a year is probably uh, a good idea. Again, you know, this is a, you know, everyone, if, if you're a do-it-yourself or everyone kind of manages, you know, manages their own money in, uh, in their own way. Uh, or if, you know, if you just have your 401k or if you have a brokerage account, um, I would, you know, you do want to check in on, uh, on your holdings, um, you know, just some, some, I guess some brief guidelines, you know, first and foremost, uh, are they, you know, is the fund doing well, I think relative to peers, right? So I, you know, ideally everyone we're talking to has a diversified portfolio, right? They, they don't just have money in one place. Uh, you know, they have their U S exposure, their, you know, their, their international exposure. Maybe they have some bonds depending on how aggressive or conservative they are. Uh, when you check in on your holdings, I think one thing that people, people, I, I mean, I know they regularly miss this because we we field the question from time to time from clients. Hey, I have this fund and this fund, and you know, I I, I can we do more of this one over here because it's done better mm. relative to this one over here. And why do we have this one if it's you know if it's going to keep going down all the time or or, or something similar, right? Um, you know, the the question is, you know, you should not be monitoring, a, a, you know. A fund other than against its peers, right? So you know, mm. you know, you you it would not be appropriate for you to continue, you know, to compare your S and P five hundred return uh, for twenty twenty one to your emerging markets fund return for twenty twenty one. Obviously, the you know, you'd have to have a fantastically great emerging markets fund to have gotten anywhere near mm. uh, a twenty eight percent rate of return for the S and P five hundred. And it's probably not realistic that that would have happened anyway. I don't know that that's the case, but it's probably very unlikely that that would happen. So you want to just be making sure that you're comparing uh, apples to apples. And, you know, the whole idea behind a diversified portfolio is is for you to have uh, is is so you have things, you know, behaving differently at different times. Otherwise there would be no reason to have, you know, to, to have money in more than one place. Mm. Good with that. I'm good with that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would, uh, I would also check in on, this is, I have an old data point here and I, but I, and I didn't, I didn't, um, I, I 
poked around to see if I could update it. Oh, so I okay. Find it. I bet it's um, not that check, far off. Yeah. Check in on fund costs, right? So fund costs, uh, you know, have been coming down across the board, which, which yeah. I, you know, I think generally speaking, we think is a great thing, right? Obviously, the more money that you get to keep in your pocket, um, the better for the client, right? So this, the data point that I had was it was a 20-year number that ended 2017, where mutual fund uh, costs fell 45%. And I think my guess is that trend has continued, yeah. although it's, I'm, I'm sure the last five years or so haven't uh, been quite that stark. But so I would just, you know, if, if you have anything old, I would make sure that you're looking in on it, right? Uh, and certainly, again, what you want to do here again is make sure you are comparing uh, to peers, right? So, you, you know, you don't just say, well, hey, this uh, this fund is way more expensive than that fund. There's there's oftentimes decent reasons for price differences, right? I mean, you, you could have, uh, you know, a fund that's invested in the S&P 500 is very, very cheap to manage relative to one, uh, you know, in emerging markets, right? You know, in emerging markets, you're talking about lots and lots of different countries mm. and lots of lots of different stocks. And um, you get kind of a more complex process uh, involved there. So you would expect some difference in costs. You're also, um, you know, you also have different types of investment strategies that may be more, uh, more or less um, difficult to manage, right? You know, some, sometimes, you may be buying an index fund, right? Which is easy to manage because you know all the manager is doing is following an underlying index, not all that difficult. And then there are other sets of funds that are, you know, that that is sort of are sometimes by definition a lot more difficult to manage, right? If you're if you have an active manager who's managing maybe a managed futures fund, there's a lot that goes into that. And the expectation in that case would be that the price would be higher. So it's not just that you, yeah. you know, it, it, we we certainly What's the best way to say this? It's, I think it's certainly the case that you should be, you know, striving to have the most cost-efficient portfolio that you can. Right? It is not necessarily the case that you should buy the cheapest investment in every category, um, because occasionally there, you know, there's a reason to hold one that may be more, you know, more expensive than another. Yeah. If it, it, right. If it increases potential return or, and, or decreases level of risk in the portfolio, or then, you know, it, I guess it depends on where you, you see the value. Right. Right. What's the value in it, but for at least people to be aware of what their underlying costs are, good practice. Having said that, Justin, I have yep. no idea where the average person goes, where the average investor goes to get that information. We have <laughs> subscriptions to yeah. softwares yep. where we can, where we can find expense ratios and find this information. Um, so, you know, ask your investment professional, but if you don't have one where I, cause that this information isn't like on Yahoo, Yahoo finance, is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a or lot of it's out it, there and available. Unfortunately, the four hundred one k world is is the hardest place to find cost information. Uh, That's yeah, where most, yeah, so yeah. most folks have their uh, have their four hundred one ks. Yeah. Um, you can certainly you can get it. It's it's you know it's sometimes hidden and it's more difficult than it really should be. Um, but you know that just kind of is what it is. Are we up against? Uh, are we almost at the end here? We are right. Yeah, I've never met one person ever who had any idea how much their yeah. what their cost was for their investment strategy. <laughs> yeah. Never ever. I hear you. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, but yeah, right, well, my that my little timer went off. So so time to okay. wrap up. But that was a great show. All right, well, that another, was good. Another show coming gone. Yeah. All right. Hey, this has been McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara Reed. Thank you for listening here. Uh, check us out on our podcast, uh, McNamara on Money and your favorite podcatcher. 
Uh, if you have any questions, uh, give us a shout, uh, questions at McNamaraonmoney.com. And if you'd like to visit our websites, go to McNamara Financial. Oh, there's my timer. Uh, <laughs> McNamaraFinancial.com uh, and uh, up in the Merrimack Valley, McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. And that's all. Awesome. Have a great Bye-bye. weekend, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.